Well, in a movie trilogy called Mad Max, a young Mel Gibson plays the good guy in this apocalyptic world of survival where people are divided into tribes and they're competing for precious petroleum reserves, for gas, for energy, for oil, and they compete uh, many times to the death. They compete to the point where they kill each other. Uh, think about this as gas prices continue to soar when you're pumping at Chevron. Just look around and see who might need to die. Mel Gibson in this movie, he's, um, he's captured by uh, Tina Turner. Uh, she plays the role of anti-entity. Some of you with me? Y'all remember Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It, and uh, took a train to the city and all that? But anyway, so she plays the, the bad gal, and she captures this young Mel Gibson, and she brings him into this small colony, vicious colony, known as the Thunderdome. And she leads basically, uh, I see some of you out there, she leads basically uh, a Roman gladiator barbaric spectacle where there's a saying there, just like with the Romans here in Thunderbolt, that the two men enter, but only one leaves. In the world of Thunderbolt, we'll put it up, Thunderdome, sorry, uh, crowds cheer as two people tear each other apart. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say today that this is, I believe, a metaphor for how we're living today in a thunderdome, socially, culturally, politically, etc. Living in a thunderdome where crowds cheer as people, two people, people uh, in general, tear each other apart. In a February 20, 20, 2020 State of the Union address, then President Donald Trump, that makes some of you so happy and some of you so sad, and if I know you, I know who you are. But uh, then-President Donald Trump uh, walked down the aisle like any president does before his State of the Union address, and half of the folks applauded and thunderously were excited, and half of the folks kept their seat, anxious to hear what he would say and how they would disagree with it. And his political rival, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, as custom is, probably didn't want to, but she extended her hand to then-President Donald Trump, and he did not show shake her hand. Ever had, had that happen to you? Probably not on a global stage, but uh, you ever had your hand just dangling in midair when someone refuses it? It's not the best feeling in the world. So how would she respond? At the end of his speech, she took the transcript from his speech and she ripped it apart page by page. Thunderdome, crowds cheer as two people tear each other apart. What's probably more remarkable for me is to consider the very next day in the ensuing week that leaders from both parties defended their person and demeaned the other side. We are living in a thunderdome where we're cheering for other people to be torn apart. Now, in the best-selling book, of all time. I realize some of you aren't Christians or people of religion, but in the best-selling book of all time, one writer said it's the most beloved book of all time, it's the most burned book, and the most banned book. There must be something about it. But over 2,000 years ago, a writer, a brilliant thinker, would write these words. He would say that we need to be careful not to bite or devour one another. If, picture uh, a piece of fruit uh, in front of you. I think we can put that passage up. But you picture a piece of fruit, an apple in front of you. If you keep biting on it, there ain't going to be much apple, if any, maybe the core. Uh, but that's, that's it. And if we bite each other and bite each other, there's not going to be much left. If you look at Christian Twitter today, uh, nobody's going to be left standing in the, in the Thunderdome. 
But be careful not to bite and bite and bite, and ultimately you'll be devouring one another. I want to put two points up to form the the backdrop of where we want to go today. The first one is this. It's about disagreements. Disagreement is a human constant. Look at me. Uh, Well, look at the screen, but listen to me. But like, hey, we... My head is not in the sand here. Like, friction is all around us. This is not what we're preaching today. We'll get there next week when we talk about check the ego. But in James chapter 4, we're going to preach from 3 today. But in chapter 4, he says, what's the source of quarrels among you? Like, it's just a given. If you get people together, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fight. Look, some of the worst fights I've seen have been on the church softball field. All right? Um, you, if you get people together, you're going to fight. So our head is not in the sand. What's the source of quarrels among you? Isn't it your selfish desires that wage with Don't Anybody got desires? If you don't have desires, you ain't living. If you're alive, you've got desires pulsating throughout you, and it clashes when you get with someone else, and you, 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 you get married. You're going to fight about money, sex, kids, uh, communication, and in-laws. That's the top five, but there's 155 more that you have fought about if you've been married more than a year. What is the source of quarrels among you? Disagreement is a human constant, so we're not going to look past it. We're going to have disagreement, okay? But these days, anybody agree with this? Disagreements are threatening our civility. I was writing this sermon this week and attended a meeting, uh, being the civic-minded guy that I am. I attended a meeting about the new development uh, that's being proposed down on Meadowbrook. I I live here, work here, play here. And uh, I thought, I want to hear in person. They're going to cover it on the news. They'll give the soundbite version. But I want to hear what this uh, guy's plans are for this development. It could be really good for the north side of Fondren. And I walked into the room, and there was probably 30 of us and a couple of uh, local politicians and some uh, some media and some people, and, and it's just, just a very diverse crowd, and it, re- it was a reminder of one of the reasons I love our neighborhood. Uh, you hear me say this, but Fonder is not just a neighborhood. Uh, many of you drive into church, love that, or appreciate that, but Fonder is not just a neighborhood, it's an idea, and I was looking at this idea right in front of me of people who uh, didn't all look alike, and we had different ideas, and First Samuel 16 says that man looks at the outward appearance. Y'all do that, but God looks at the heart. Some of y'all, I see some of you CrossFitters, y'all go to the gym, and y'all are looking at the outward appearance. I know, I know you are, um, and, but God looks at the heart, and I, I remember thinking, there's just some people here, and they're probably looking at me going, that's a bald-headed preacher fawn, or probably going to be a religious proselytizer over here tonight. But I did, I had people ask me what we believe and who is welcome here. And I remember thinking, this could go, this could be interesting. But I, you know, we were there, we were all there for a common purpose. And one of the appeals as we get into communication and talk about the tongue is I'm asking us as followers of Jesus is to put down the pitchfork and to shake hands. And to live beyond sound bites and to move towards civil discord. And I want to encourage all of you to find a way to partner with people to make our city better, make our world better. Remember the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6? Lord, you're king. It's not a beam me up, Scotty prayer. So let's be willing to do that. Okay, so disagreement. What do we say? It's a human constant. It ain't going anywhere. You're going to fight. But it just seems a little more dangerous now. Now, stay here for a second because in studying for the sermon this week, I found some very credible, reliable sources 
that are indicating that a vast majority of us, like in the 80, upper 80%, are worried about going into public places and venues. We feel like increasingly that it. pandemic but the pandemic as has um revealed a predicament that i think is worsening we need to talk to each other do you know that we've got some big issues that we need to solve do you know the world is not trending in the right direction and do you know the things that we uh, talked about and fought about and divided on in 2020 the racial division the great political divide and all the rancor around it do you know that that that's not gone anywhere there are big, but it seems like we're destroying our ability to do so. So, let's talk. Let's talk about what the Word says. Now, God gives us language. God created, I want to do something real quick. I can't uh, unpack all this, but if it uh, provokes you for your own study, I would really um, revel in that. But I want to compare Genesis 11 with Revelation 7. Genesis 11 is the part you'll see it there but in verse 4 uh, it says that the people uh, but here the people say we want to build a tower I heard somebody say the other day that it's the problem with Christianity in a modern world especially in the west especially when Christianity goes and it has uh, any sort of power, think Hillsong or Christianity Today or Mars Hill or Willow Creek. When, when it gets famous and popular and rock stars are its leaders, then uh, it, it, we, we tend to, to do what the people did in Genesis. We say, we're going to build a tower of greatness for ourselves. And by the way, when religion come, becomes about ourselves and we ask so little of ourselves, it's so hollow and empty and flat. And it won't fuel you for your journey. And it won't draw anybody in. 11, God says, now remember, we won't get into explaining the Trinity. Okay, uh, I'll let somebody else do that after church day if, if you'd like. But there's, there's one God, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the element of creation in Genesis is he uh, created light. He separated the light from the darkness. And you know that he created everything. And then uh, in, d deeper into his creation, uh, he says, let us confuse their language so it's God's judgment I don't want to preach around this it's God's judgment but there's God's mercy because in his judgment he uh, there, there became different languages so not everybody in the world could conspire against God together God's all-knowing omniscient omnipresent all-powerful pre-existent and God says God has every right to do that it's his judgment but we see his mercy in that people had their languages and people could talk and people could make connection just like you and I can with speaking our, our language. And we can have intimate relationship with one another. We can convey ideas and share hopes and dreams and talk to each other because of the gift of language. And what I really love is the narrative of scripture. There's the creation, there's the fall. Uh, scholars call this the meta narrative. There's the creation and the fall. There's redemption and then there's glorification. And God is saying, look at Revelation 7 verse not every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. There's a coming kingdom where things will be.
consummated and there will be harmony and there will be unity and it is going to be a beautiful thing. So God has given us a communication to be a gift, but we distort it and we thwart his way with how we speak to one another. So communication, very powerful, a gift of God, but we want to be careful with it. Malcolm in the Middle was a television show, a silly sitcom that covered the adventures of this very lovable and dysfunctional family. And there's an episode, I bet some of y'all are going to remember this, I saw some head shakers in the 930. There's this one episode, it's kind of a Christmas scene, where um, Mother Lois is in the parking lot and she's checking her Christmas list and uh, she's sitting in her car with her list about to go into a department store to purchase gifts for her family because it's Christmas, a time of love, goodwill, and cheer. And uh, someone walks uh, by her car to their car, another woman, and she's, uh, her arms are full of bags of gifts and she uh, slams her car door, her car door hits Mother Lois's car door. And M- Mother Lois um, says to this stranger, to this strange woman, she says, um, excuse me, uh, maybe you should say that you're sorry. And the woman speaks back to her. She says, I, I-, I don't like your tone. It's not like I'm going to hurt the resale value of your car. So Mother Lois, she knocks, she slams her door into the stranger. And the stranger slams her door back in. For, she meant it this time. She does it two or three times. Then Lois slams her door. What ensues? Does anybody remember this episode? What, what, what ensues is a demolition derby driving fest in the parking lot where they're not just slamming doors, they're ramming cars into each other. And two ironies here, they're playing Christmas music in the background as the car's slamming each other. And the camera hones in on Lois's bumper sticker uh, that reads, War is not the answer. <laughs> but it's in us, isn't it? It's in us. Years and years ago, Susan and I were out to dinner with friends. Our church was at Dueling Hall. And this new couple was coming. We t- took them out to dinner. And it was about an hour and a half, uh, two hours of dinner and conversation. Really good time. And, uh, you know, halfway through, uh, the man said something, making reference to something I said in the sermon. And Susan wasn't aware of it. And, uh, and, and, and I thought, well, that's kind of hurtful. And uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, your husband mentioned that in, in the sermon. And then, and then no kidding, 15 minutes later, uh, she, the woman said something that was referenced in a sermon. And Susan didn't know it. And I just said to her in front of the couple, I said, you know, you should listen to my sermons. Um, that color looks terrific on you. Um, we're going to look in a moment in James how it says that the tongue is impossible to tame. Now, I look at my experience, like I'm the preacher and I say dumb things like I just told on myself, right? But like, we, if, if the scripture says, we're going to look at it in a second, it says the, tame is, the tongue is untamable. Well, let's just shut the book and go home. This is an exercise in futility, but stay with me for a second. Proverbs is known as the James of the Old Testament, or James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And James gives these vivid metaphors uh, about our communication, about our words. And it, it says things like reckless Reckless words are a piercing sword. Um, a, a, a scoundrel's speech stirs up flames. A scorching fire, it says. A sly tongue evokes anger. A wrong word spoken can break a bone. Negative words can separate friends. Now think for a moment, try to internalize and personalize, if you will. To what extent have you felt that in your life? Have you ever felt burned? 
by the words of another? Have you ever felt someone you want to be close to, but words separated you from them? Have you ever, because of someone, something spoken to you, you've been angered, you've been pierced, you've been cut, a fire of rage has started within you because of the words of somebody else. Words are powerful. But I also, I want to call you to Proverbs in chapter 6. There's, the Bible gives us this really remarkable list. And it says, uh, and I quote, there are six things God hates. Uncomfortable? There are six things, yea, seven are an abomination to him. The Hebrew language, very strong. It's saying that this, these things are disgusting to God. You got my attention. He says, he, I'll list them for you. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil schemes, feet that rush quickly toward wickedness, a false witness who pours forth lies in testimony, and lastly, he says, people who stir up dissension in a community. God hates these things. Now, of the seven uh, preachers, I learned this from seminary, we like to systemize things. If you look at the seven, four of them are directly about the words we say. And if you throw in, and I want to throw in haughty eyes, because haughty eyes is nonverbal communication. And look, we've all been hurt. We've all dismissed somebody with nonverbals. Like you, you have st- started fights. You've been enticed to fight. You've been uh, in a, a, a relationship of discord or at least a bad moment where someone did something non-verbally. It wasn't what they said. It was the posture. It's a big deal. And Scripture is saying that God hates our haughtiness. He hates our pride. When we use our non-verbal to look down on somebody, he hates that because you and I are not better than anybody. God loves everybody. And we need to be careful the words we say, but also our posture. So back to my systemized list here of the seven things that God hates, five of them have to do with communication. So let's, let's look at it like this. This is really important. I'd love you note takers to grab this. God hates, so far from a stoic deity, God is deeply moved by our communication choices. Don't, look at me, don't say it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And God is not a stoic deity. He is moved by it. And look. Moldable, fashionable deity. God hates. And God's hatred, just like his anger, is a good thing. And we see his mercy on the other side of the judgment. But he hates it because of what it does to us and how it separates us from one another. It's not his desire. God hates. But what I love, because this sermon needs some positivity really fast. But it also says in Proverbs 16, it says this, that words well spoke and kind, I love this. It says that it can bring, it's like honey, a sweetness to the heart and healing to the bone. That is also so true. Catherine Stockett, a local gal, uh, finished a school here and went on, I think, to Alabama and moved to New York and became a writer. And she wrote, among her work, she wrote The Help. And Hollywood, I think a lot of you will recall, made it into a movie in 2010, 2011. And it depicts uh, this gal, Phelan, played by Emma Stone. She returns to her hometown, oh, by the way, of Jackson, Mississippi. 
And she now is more attuned to the interplay of racial dynamics in the town. And what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi in the early 1960s is black women were working for white families and essentially raising white children. And in the film, this one particular uh, family, this white family, the mother, they had a, um, a chubby, uh, overweight um, daughter who was struggling. And the mother would say things to her like, straighten up and stop eating so much. And this um, one character, um, this black lady that took care of the family, she was so heartbroken by these crushing words spoken over this little life that she would take, when the mother was gone, she would take the little girl and put her in this rocker and she would say, you is important and you is smart and you is good. And she would speak and those words over her and Catherine Stockett's novel made into the movie, it showed this little girl's face, depicted this face and it would light up. And when I saw that film for the first time, I never read the book, just saw the movie, and I saw that scene, I thought of Proverbs 16, words that are kind and words are gracious. It is like honey to the soul and health to the bones. It gives life, and you know this, don't you, when words are spoken. So think about this and think about your life. Think about words spoken to us, over us, and about us. I bet everybody in the room remembers words spoken to you, over you, and about you. I bet you carry things from your childhood. I bet you remember that family member, that coach, or that teacher, that leader. Um, I can remember early on Tommy Temple, Ben Yarber, Jack McGill, and Lim Howard, and Chris Willard, and two pastors who are friends who know some of the deepest parts of my soul and talk to me and speak over me. By the way, just in the middle there, something I want to kind of inculcate into this just for you to think about. I'm not going to over-explain it. I'll leave a lot of this mysterious. But like, we need to speak over each other. And I used to think it was cheesy and some obligatory Christian thing, but I've been in some environments, I've been in some groups, and now I lead them. If, you're, if your small group's been together for a little while, this would be a great thing for you to do. We can coach you in this, but speak over each other. Speak words of life over each other. It's a very powerful dynamic there are many examples in scripture i think of one in second timothy one where paul is saying hey god has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind and he says to timothy hey we're laying hands on you and we're going to pray i see this gift in you we are speaking these words to you and i want to fan the flame and words have that power and everybody can remember words spoken to you words spoken about you words spoken over you and the point may be too simple but let me just stop and say folks we can do better we can do better. We can do this. We can grow in this. It's been a common experience for me as a pastor to occasionally have an opportunity to do something like that or just to encourage someone. And you're thinking, well, RG, you're a preacher, so you should you know, say nice things to people. All right, I get that. It's in my job description. But just in a relational way, I've been able to, uh, and I, I remember a few instances. I won't tell on anybody if you're in the room, but I've had some people um, receive a compliment or I've, I've tried to fan a flame of gift that I've seen in somebody. And the response has been, thank you, Robert. Thank you so much, dot, dot, dot. I wish my dad would tell me this. And listen to me for a second. And you... Men, I'm going for you right now. I'm going for everybody, but I'm going for dads. Words are powerful, but words don't carry equal weight. 
You with me? If you're a boss, like somebody could tell, like, I'm just stating the fact here, this isn't a power trip, but I'm, I'm the boss uh, around the office, okay? I'm the boss. And I, somebody could tell somebody something, and it would have a little bit of weight, but I could tell somebody something, and it would have more weight. Now, it's just because I'm the boss. I tell our staff team often, I'll say, y'all know why I'm in charge? Because I got here first. All right, I just, that's why, I, I got people in the room smarter than me, but currently, uh, unless I mess it up, I'm, I'm the boss. But what I've noticed, and I've had some people remind me of this, I've always had someone on my right, and I've uh, had Susan and the Holy Spirit to remind me, hey, Robert, be careful. Hey, before you, before you speak, remember, remember the, remember the impact that this could have. And so every leader, women and men, but really dads, look at me, not all words carry equal weight. And there's some things spoke that somebody, you know, could speak to you, and it's just water off the duck's back. But when a best friend or a boss or a dad or those without a dad, I found, uh, or a man speaks into you, it's different than other words. And it's very powerful. I'll drop this at you. Years ago, I went to see a book, I'm sorry, a movie called Manchester by the Sea. And a bad, bad movie. It's set up in the the Northeast. They uh, drop cuss words, so don't go see it. Um, I got a shower when I went home after seeing it. But I I remember driving down, and uh, it was late, and I was driving home into Fondren from Madison. And I remember thinking, this film, it stars Casey Affleck, Ben Affleck's brother. And there was this tragedy, but he never talked about the tragedy. And I remember driving home thinking, man, we can't afford to stuff everything. And I was like, when I get home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see my boys. They were much younger. And I'm just going to say, learn to talk. Learn to express. Don't hold on to things. Talk about them. Words are powerful. Speak life over people. Words are are powerful, but they don't carry equal weight. Now, I know you're nervous because we only have a little bit of time left, and now I'm just getting to the text. So I'm going to go really, really fast. James chapter 3. A word about James. If you're not a religious person, not a Christian, read James. Read James because you would, and look, I'm not asking you to buy into anything or become a religious zealot or make a big conversion. If you're not a religious person or a Christian in particular, read James and tell me if you're not drawn to its wisdom that was written 2,000 years ago. And that's why we're preaching it. We're preaching, hey, hey, pass the test. Do the word. Tame the tongue. Check the ego and ask the Father. We're preaching this, and it just, it's amazing the relevance. And by the way, uh, of all these five chapters in James, James has something to say about what we say in every chapter. In fact, the first chapter says, Be, I know you've heard this, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Say that with me out loud. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. A couple more times. Be quick to listen and slow. If you're loud, we'll stop. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. What if we, uh, what if we live that out? And then he says, if someone thinks they're religious and they don't bridle their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Not long ago, someone asked me about all the guys on Christian Twitter. And I want this person to come to faith in Jesus. But they're bothered by the vitriol. And my response is, I don't know any of these guys. And James tells me to let God be the judge. But the what I'm seeing and what you show me, I'm, I'm not even sure they're Christians. You and I sabotage our faith if we don't get a handle on our tongue 
in our speech. So he goes on and he has all these things to say about what we say. It's in every single chapter. Chapter 4, don't boast. Chapter 4, don't slander your brothers or sisters because you've got a heavenly father and he cares. Chapter 5, uh, he says, he plagiarized from his brother Jesus. He says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Speak. And if I were to ask you, write three people you admire. Write them down. Write their names down. I guarantee you they would be people who keep their word. We only admire people, imperfect people, but people who keep their word. All right, I got to go really fast because we only got a couple of minutes. James chapter 3, we're going to roll. For we all stumble in many ways. Can I get an amen? Anybody disagree? Anybody think you don't stumble in many ways? Stand up so we can judge you. Um, We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. You ever spoken and you wish you had this? Throw that up there. You, you speak and, you know, presidents have said things like, I didn't inhale or read my lips, no new taxes. And, but all of us are this way. You wish you had a pause button. Really what you need, I, maybe I'm just confessing me, y'all may be better than me. Here's what you really need, a rewind button, right? You need to go back or you want to take it back. Oh, why did I say that? So let's all be humble when we're talking about the tongue. I failed to mention this in the 8 o'clock, but the tongue, scientists tell us, is comprised of eight different muscles. So eight different muscles, uh, it's really, tongue is gross. Let's, can we say that? I mean, God made it, and we all got one, but it's pretty gross. But it's comprised of eight muscles, and none of them get tired. No, none of the eight, is that surprising, anybody? None of the eight muscles ever wear out or get tired. Um, let's keep rolling. If we put bits in the mouths of horses that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Next. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Here's a picture of an ancient merchant ship. It's actually not a picture because they didn't have cameras back then. It's a a drawing. I should get that right. But they didn't know about the wind. They didn't have Doppler radar, but a small thing. And with all these these three illustrations that James is using, something small that seems insignificant makes a big, big impact. And then next he says... So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So picture it like this. Now show that the forest fire. James is saying this can start that. If you don't get it with the horse and the bit in the horse's mouth, if you don't get it with the rudder, the little bitty rudder on the ship, then maybe you'll get it with this. This can start that. Four and a half years ago, this couple in California meant well. They were having their gender reveal party. And their idea was a semi-creative one. They had a pyrotechnic device that would emit smoke. Blue if it's a boy, pink if it's a girl. What they weren't counting on, their friends and family, loved ones were there. What they weren't counting on is the pyrotechnic device would also, could also, uh, I see a fire guy over here, could also uh, emit a spark. And a spark came out of the machine, and it lit some dry brush in that arid desert region. And in a matter of just a couple of days, 22,000 acres were destroyed, and it forced massive evacuations. This can lead to this. This is small, but its impact is significant. Let's finish this chapter real fast. Lauren, if y'all would go ahead and make your way up because I am on the clock. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Think about this. We don't worry about the animals. Like I was walking to church today, praying and looking at my sermon notes and getting ready and feeling pressure and all that. And I, I walked by this, this house across from the castle over across the street. I was coming up the hill and, and this one house had uh, a cat and the cat was next to a tree and the, up the tree was a squirrel and the squirrel was obviously taunting the cat. And the cat was ready to make a pounce, but there was a dog looking out the window at the cat. And I remember thinking, I ain't worried about any of them because I am mankind and I can handle this like we don't think about the woolly mammoth we have essentially tamed the lion the tiger and the beast and the bear there's the occasional shark attack or snake bite a few years back when we were wanting to host people at our house we invited a company over called mosquito authority and we paid them some money hoping that they would have some authority over the mosquitoes 50 50 but mostly, we've tamed everything, right? Anybody, anybody going to leave here today afraid of animals? Probably not. We've tamed everything. But we haven't been able to tame the tongue. So let me finish. Finish the way James finishes. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, come blessing and cursing my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water can a fig tree my brothers you can just tell he's Jesus' brother by the way my brothers bear olives or a grapevine produce figs neither can a salt pond yield fresh water you know how James finishes the end that's it sort of let me give you three words biblical words to help us first is remember and then surrender and then confess remember that words are powerful and I, here's what I'm saying remember that you are powerful you say ah, Robert I'm struggling with my self image I feel lowly uh, I'm not like you know Putin's got a long table so long as he makes people sit 50 feet from him and like that's power like I'm not powerful but I'm telling you, you are powerful. Look at what Scripture says. Man, I buy, I buy, I'm all in. And Scripture says words are powerful. And you speak words, so you are powerful. Remember that you have power. Remember that you can speak and it can bring death or it can bring life. And then surrender. It says in Romans 12, 1, I bet a lot of you have heard this. It says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, Go to the altar, but keep going to the altar. You don't have to keep praying to receive Christ because Jesus took your sins. And Hebrews tells us, hey, once and for all, he paid the penalty. You don't have to keep doing it. Like, he's got you. But you have to continually bring your life and offer your body. So here's what I do mostly on the daily. I, I, I begin my day. And throughout my day, I really do pray. Uh, I have one of those jobs where you, you know, you, you need to pray. <laughs> Like, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this. I can't. So I pray. And, but I, I start the day. And I want to intersperse with that. Lord, Lord, take my feet. Take my hands. Take my heart. Take my speech. Take my mouth. Take my tongue. Take it. I yield this to you. And help me bridle it. And help me speak life. And bring life into other people. And lastly... 
confess. The person that I'm sharing my faith with is a skeptic, and I love him to death. Really smart guy. And he brought up the, the, the latest Christian debacle this week. This week, is, if you hadn't heard, it's Hillsong. And the guy that fired the guy for a sex scandal who baptized Justin Bieber a few years ago, he was caught in a scandal. And, uh, you know, I told my friend, hey, we all stumble in many ways, all of us. And we all have to be careful so that we don't fall. But uh, the leaders had months and months to prepare a statement. They issued a statement this week that is really the point of mockery and derision for the Hillsong community and the wider Christian community, if you will. And they had an opportunity to just to come clean. And they didn't. They talked about prescription drugs and alcohol and bad judgment. And, you know, and I mean, he knocked on a woman's hotel room late at night and went in for 45 minutes and blah, 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 blah. And here's what I want to say. We don't do ourselves any favors if we hide from confession. Nowhere in the scripture does it give value to concealment or containment or cover up. But it says that we use our words and to speak confession. So here's what I'm saying. Don't explain it. Don't excuse it. Own it. Own the fires that you have begun. And watch God bring healing. There's some judgment in there, isn't there? But there's God's mercy on the other side as well. Would you stand with me? Let me pray over you. And I want to pray over us because I said this sort of at the beginning. I'm asking us to put down our pitchforks and to shake hands. To move away from sound bites into civil dialogue. And can I just remind anybody, a, a 30 second sound bite doesn't have context. And so we need to be, we all said it out loud. If you participated, you said it out loud with me three or four times. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Let us remember and let us surrender and let us confess. Let us deeper than that be a people who do confess. Father, uh, it's, a, it's a time we're living in and we are divided. And we got a whole lot of people making a whole lot of money dividing us. And they may have fancy jobs, but they're terrible leaders if they're pitting us against each other and bringing up the worst about the other side. And we have a common humanity. We have the image of God imprinted on each of us. We are called, First Peter, to respect everyone. And all throughout Scripture, we're called to love everybody. And there's no asterisks, no fine print, no subtlety or nuance to that. So help us love. And Lord, we cannot love if we're mocking others and deriding others and gossiping about others and boasting and dividing. So Lord, this tongue, I pray you just minister to us that you would grab hold of our hearts because Jesus taught it in Matthew 12. What comes out of our mouth flows from our hearts. Lord, bless and heal and help fathers, help mothers, help leaders, help people like me who are leading in churches to yield and surrender and confess and walk with you and to speak life into a world that needs it. God, let us be a healing bomb 
in a world with so much hatred and harshness. Jesus, we pray. Bless these tithes and offerings. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.